Hi, this is Andy Bertram, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to the AU Wishbone Podcast. War Eagle. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 699. Oh, we're so close. You're listening to the AU Wishbone, almost credible sports discussion on the White Rocket Entertainment Network. The Auburn crowd can smell it. They can taste it. They can almost see Minneapolis. I'm not even hungry and I can taste it. The Auburn Tigers, for the first time ever, are going to the Final Four. From the Palatial White Rocket Studios in Southern Illinois and Eastern Virginia, it's the AU Wishbone Podcast, John. How are you tonight? Very well, Van. How are you? I'm good. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm John Ringer. John, the basketball season is starting to get to me. I'm getting a little twitch. One of my eyes is kind of closed, and the other one's open, kind of like Bill the Cat, kind of coughing up hairballs occasionally. You know, it's not good. I'm, I'm not, I'm not... I'm not having the happy place moments that I'm used to, and I'm not liking it very much. As with most of our references in this podcast, probably two-thirds of the audience won't get the Bill the Cat reference, but I'm fine with that. That's what the other um, third think we're geniuses, though. That's the beauty of it. But I do – I get it. Uh, it's it's tough. Yeah. You get – as an Auburn basketball fan, you get up, you get into it again. You don't – you say, at this time, I'm not getting my hopes up. And then we get into the game, and we take the lead, and we're playing well, and it's looking good. Yeah. And then they suck you back in, and then boom, end of the game. Same, we're same thing. Yeah, they they just don't have a lot of scoring, so they have to fight and scratch and claw to kind of stay even with good teams. But they can't close it out because there's not an absolutely reliable scorer in the last couple of minutes. The, the interior defense is not always great because it really comes down to basically Jani Broom. And there's only so much he can do, especially if the referees start throwing start, start handing out fouls early. And then, you know, it, and then we always end up shooting so many fewer free throws than our opponents. And then if we get into those stretches where we can't make an outside shot to save our lives, which is basically every game lately except for Missouri, right, then we're in deep trouble. If you showed a fan just the Missouri and Georgia home games, <laughs> people would think we were the greatest team in the history of college basketball. Yeah. Unfortunately, we had to play other teams besides them. And, uh, and by the way, our loss to Georgia in the, the first time we played them remains our worst loss on our schedule, unfortunately. Though, you know, I have to point out, I don't, I don't have it in front of me. I don't know what our worst loss certainly an SEC play has been it feels like we've lost every SEC game that we've lost by like two or three points mm-hmm. I feel like maybe was it maybe Texas A&M beat us by like five at the very end but it feels like every other game it's been like two or three points no, the Texas A&M game at home, they killed us. Yeah. That one, they beat us by like 16 or whatever. But you're yeah. right, every other game is just like this three, four, yeah. five. What was the Alabama one? Six. Yeah. Eight. That was eight. 
Okay. They're all so they're single all digits. That, they're all in that, that range. And yeah. and a bunch have been just like one shot, it seems like, or one or you know, two shots or something. We were mm-hmm. usually we were trying to score at the very end to win it or tie it and something went wrong and the other team got an extra score or got the steal or something, you know, and and uh did you see though in the um they didn't really talk about it, but at the end of the Vanderbilt game you know, they, they spent like an hour after the game was allegedly over reviewing something that nobody could figure out what they were reviewing. And then they decided that we had fouled them. So they had to come back on the court and shoot free throws. And then we inbounded it. And was it KD almost made it was, the f- it was Jalen Williams, I think. It almost made it. It hit the it hit the rim. How incredible would that have been if the referees had come out restarted the game, put more time on the clock and we did a we did a hit a full length shot. That would have just been I mean, that Vanderbilt would have just shut down the school, quit playing sports. That'd have been like, you know, look, we're just never gonna do it anymore. We're done. We're folding up. But I think the, I think it's almost the the symbol for the Auburn season mm-hmm. that it looked like it might go in and it, mm-hmm. it it was so close that it hit the rim, but it did not. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, to go from just absolutely blowing Missouri out like they were a junior high team to turning around and having that gut-wrenching last-second loss, which reminded me of, uh, to Vanderbilt, which reminded me of like that famous, was it like an Arizona or Ohio State or something guard that drove down and went the length of the court and scored in the last second? That was something that uh, Jared Harper would have done when it was us doing that to the other team. And we just didn't have any – I mean, we just didn't have any way of stopping him, it seemed like. He just went – did whatever he wanted, and we didn't want to foul him, I guess. But Well, I think we had ways of stopping him. We just didn't do it. Yeah. That. Yeah, but if we'd fouled him, though, he'd have, all he needed to make one shot to win the game. Although there would have been a couple more seconds left on the clock, maybe, but – you know, when you when you tie it with that miracle, it was KD that hit the miracle three pointer there, right? Yes. And, and by miracle, I mean we made a three point shot late in the game. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just uh, this is one of those years where there's just pieces missing, and it's going to happen. It happens to Duke. It happens to North Carolina. It happens to Kansas. It happens to UCLA. It happens to Kentucky, and it's happened to us. It happens. But I also I want to be clear about what we say when we when you say it happens. We're the fifth best team in the SEC. We're going to make the NCAA tournament. In historical Auburn precedence, those are great things. I mean, they are. There's a lot of recently spoiled Auburn basketball fans, and I'm yes. not going to allow myself to ever be that way. Right. And I'm per again. I'm. It's not where I want to be, but I'm not going to cry because we're in fifth place in the conference and make the NCAA tournament ever, no. ever, ever. No, no, no. That's true. But, I mean, losing to Vanderbilt doesn't help with that. No. Because now we've got one more pretty winnable game, and then it just gets nasty. Did we even play LSU this year? I can't even remember playing them. It must have been like the very beginning. It was Yes, it was very early. It was on a Wednesday night, and it was there. Okay. And we won, I mean, right? I, yeah, I'm sure we yeah, won. They only they're won terrible. Game. Yeah, they're the worst. They're even worse than Ole Miss. All right. So, well, what do you want to say about these two games? I mean, yeah, we are in fifth, but, I mean, it's not a good – it's just it's just so frustrating. I know. I'm there, too. But, I, I mean, the Missouri game was a great game. It was yeah. a home game. 
Remember, we were coming off that bad weekend loss, and Pearl said, "This is the biggest game of the year." Yeah, must we've win. Got to be. We've got to, It's a must win. We got to have the arena packed. We got to have the energy. Make sure you give your tickets to somebody. And, and they the had just beaten Tennessee. Up. They had just beaten yes. Tennessee. Yes. And the fans showed up, and the team showed up. And Missouri's offense is like a top five offense in the country in points per game and offensive yeah. efficiency and stuff. And we completely shut them down, mm-hmm. and we're winning that game by thirty, basically the whole game. Oh yeah, it was twenty-four to four at one point. Mm-hmm. No, no, there's no doubt. I mean, um, we play defense more or less, and a lot of it is matchups. Tall guards, yes. we have a problem with, obviously. Well, and Missouri was the perfect matchup for us because they were kind of an all-offense, no-defense team with a small inside game. Yeah, no yeah, they they guys. couldn't they couldn't compete with Broom at all. Yeah, they really were the perfect matchup for us. Um, yeah, I and and this is I mentioned the Tennessee thing by the way. That's what bugged me too is we went up and barely lost another one of these squeakers to Tennessee, mm-hmm. and then Tennessee promptly went on their losing tour. Yes. Right, they were like top of the conference when when we almost beat them, and it's like they took it took something out of them to beat us, and they go on and lose to to, to lesser teams. Well, Missouri to Vanderbilt, and now to Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Since they played us. Yeah, so they're currently uh, nine and five, which is only one game better than us. If we had if we had beaten Tennessee when we had the chance, we would be tied for third place in the conference and have a better record than Tennessee right now. Unbelievable. So, yeah, it's um it's just been that kind of year. We're 18 and 9 overall right now, 8 and 6 in the SEC. Honestly, John, 18 and 9 and 8 and 6. If this was a Cliff Ellis team, a Tommy Joe Eagles team, I would be very concerned we were not going to make the SEC tournament. If I mean, it were Jeff Lebo team yeah. that had scheduled poorly, we would be there, right? Yeah. We would be in the situation. But it's Pearl and his staff did a great job in the non-conference schedule, and we have a bunch of quality wins, not tier yeah. one wins, but a bunch of quad two and three wins and we don't have a bunch of like quad four games and mm. you know uh some other teams in the sec and a and m has a bunch of you know uh wins and losses in the lower quadrants and it's really dragging them down so in the in the, like in the oh, this is the thing like in the overall power rankings we're fine like in ken palm it's one i've cited a couple times for 21st in the country and in the net rankings, which the NSA uses, we're 30th. And you think, oh, well, that's on the bubble. But uh, of the teams ahead of us, you know, 10 or 12 of them are going to get automatic bids from winning their conference tournament. So really, mm-hmm. we're like 20th again in the probably going to get a, a at-large bid. At-large. And they give out 36 at-large bids. So we're – I'm going to say this. We're going to get in. It's going to be okay. If we keep losing, the seeding might be bad. We might be a nine seed or something. But I think we're going to get in. Well, we've got Ole Miss and then in some order, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Kentucky. So let's, let's worst case scenario in realistic terms is let's say we go one and three there. That would mm-hmm. put us at nine and nine. Going into the SEC tournament, we'll need to win an SEC tournament game, won't we? Do you get into the NCAA tournament at nine and nine in the SEC? Yes. You think we will get in at nine? Because then we would get in at nine and nine. Yes. 
Again, right. it would be bad seed. We maybe fall yeah. for a 10 seed or whatever, but I, we will get in. So we, we'll have a tough matchup in the first round, probably, which mm-hmm. kind of sucks. Because, you know, hist- we talked about this before, and we talked about it in the book. Historically, Auburn basketball, when we get in the NCAA tournament, historically, more often than not, we're around an 8 or 9 seed and play another 8 or 9 seed in the first round, which is a little easier. And then we get, like, number one, number two, whatever, in the second round. And so that's why we usually go out in the second round. In those really big years, we beat them in the second round and get all the way to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, the Final Four. But, um, yeah, so, all right, well, that's that gives me a little bit of hope. I still would rather win. I mean, I would be happy. I would be delighted if we could go 2-2 two and two with this last batch. And and I I think that probably the best shot is Tennessee at home in the last game. Yes, I agree. And I I think I think Kentucky's turned it around, but they're not yeah. invulnerable. Right. Um. So that would be it's possible also. But I think Tennessee at home. I mean, there's like you said, they're starting to struggle. And in our in Neville Arena, we have a real shot at them. We haven't beaten Kentucky in Kentucky in a while, have we? I think it's John Kaler still. Good lord. It feels like we should have beaten them there a couple of times since then, but I don't think so. Yes. No, I don't think we have. Wow, that's crazy. That was a Sonny Smith team, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Yeah, that was uh, – and Chris – I think I guess the Chris Morris, um, I'm going to be the fire that burns Kentucky, and he was. I think that was that game. Well, um, what is the deal, by the way, before we get out of this? I just got to know – my whole life, I've heard the commentators talk about the Vanderbilt Memorial Gymnasium and being weird, but I've never been there, so I don't know. I know that they have like the benches at the end, and I don't know why. And I know the whole floor is kind of like elevated up in the air from the stands, but I don't know why. What's the deal with that place? And I know it's old. It's just an old school kind of construction where they built it with the benches on the end and the floor raised, and it's weird, it's different. Um, and I think it makes it the sight lines and the, and the playing there a little funky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it, it also looks like the sides are way back from the sides of the court. Well, that's, and this is the other thing. I think they let the coaches walk up the side a little bit, mm-hmm. but I do think it's a, when you're on playing offense on the end away from your bench, you are way far away from your coach trying to help you direct yeah. the traffic and stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's just weird. Um, let's see. Uh, the, the other thing I want to say about the Vanderbilt game is that was finally the game where all of our guards were terrible. <laughs> I mean, KD made that big shot at the end. That was about but it. But all four of them, yeah. the one, the point guards and the shooting guards, were all just awful in that game. Zip Jasper continues to be a devil on defense, and that's great. But he just disappears on offense. He's like he's not even on the court on the offensive end. And he was good against Missouri, made a couple of threes, and mm-hmm. was aggressive with the ball. But against Vanderbilt, again, he just like you said, he disappears, and then it's like we're playing four and five sometimes. Yeah, I don't understand it. I This team is just so odd in so many ways because they've got players. And I've I've said before that this year's team – was supposed to be a new team with new exciting players like we usually expect. But because of how it all worked out, it's really just last year's team with the people that didn't go off to the NBA. So it took a step back there. And then the ones that did come back, 
Is there a, I mean, other than Janai Broom, I mean, is there a player, I guess Flanagan is the only one that came back, maybe, okay, maybe Jalen Williams, came back from last year better than they were last year this year. I mean, I think Wendell I guess, Green is better than it was last year. In some phases of the game, but it doesn't seem like he makes near as many shots. He's playing more minutes. He Remember, he came off the bench last year. Oh, yeah. He did not start, and he was the, the energizer bunny off the bench, but I don't think he played as many minutes or took as many shots. Who was the starting point guard last year, Zepp? Zepp, Zepp Jasper and yeah. KD started a guard last year. And they switched around. I guess I guess it's still Zepp, but he's shooting guard now? Yeah. That's weird. Okay. Well, yeah, I yeah I hear Wendell's better this year, and I'm like, well, it depends on what you mean. I mean, in some ways he's better, but he's not. He doesn't seem to be scoring as much. He doesn't seem to be hitting as many three pointers. But nobody is, except again, except Jalen. Jalen has Jalen comes out, does well in the first ten minutes, and then kind of disappears. And um, yeah. So all right. Well, gotta beat Ole Miss Wednesday at eight o'clock Central, nine o'clock Eastern SEC Network. So it's a late game. Have to win it. Really need that one because they are pretty much thirteenth in the SEC right now. They have twice as many wins as LSU. So I'm not going to call them the worst team in the SEC. But that's two to one. So. <laughs> I was going to say, if they played right now, it'd be toss-up. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we've got Kentucky at Rupp, 3 o'clock Central on Saturday. Um, they've won, what, five out of six? And they've mm-hmm. got Toshibwe playing really Samir well right Wheeler, now. And they yeah. got another sh- outside shooter on the team who's new this yeah, year. Boy. They They're tough, and they've kind of figured it out. They went through that bad stretch earlier Mm -hmm. in the SEC schedule, and they're kind of riding the ship now, which is a little scary. Yeah, the teams know when to peak, and I keep saying that I hope Auburn is going to start peaking any time now. This is about the time that you want to start peaking, really, because you still got four games to go. So, honestly, for Auburn, historically, this may be a little early for us to start peaking. We want to, again, beat Ole Miss when you're not playing your best. Whatever happens with Alabama and Kentucky happens, and then let's peak against Tennessee and carry it into the SEC tournament. That's what I want to see. I agree. That would be the I ideal. Like I like it. All right. Um, football, not a lot going on right now. I was, I was mentioning uh, earlier that um, this is the time when the beat writers and the YouTubers and the podcasters other than us um, manufacture stories. What I mean is they do everything they can. They do. They, da- they drag out the old notebook and they go through and write stories and record videos about, and I'm not criticizing them, this is what you got to do, about anything they can think of. You know, any, right. there was the, oh, there's an Auburn guy in the Super Bowl, you know, or something, or will, uh, what, what is, uh, what is uh, Field Marshal Montgomery's offense really like? Or, you know, how will those offense, I bet, oh, I bet Auburn sure is glad to have, the, the transfer portal this year, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of stories you get right now. You're not getting anything new. You're just kind of like shuffling the cards around on the table and trying to find a new way to deal them out. And that's fine. That's what you have to do. The only new thing I saw was there was an interview with our athletic director, John Cohen. And we talked a little bit about another interview with him last week. But this one, he was asked about facilities. And I thought he made a really interesting point that we haven't had to consider before, okay? Which is that when you're talking about money, a lot of it is donations from alumni and fans to to do stuff, to build stuff, okay? And he was saying, where do you want that fan money to go now? 
because in the past, it pretty much went to scholarship donations and facilities. But now there's this whole NIL thing. And if, you know, it, it's funny because you don't want to, you, you know the old saying, you don't want to refight the last war again. You know, the, the classic example is the French learned the lesson from World War One that you need a really good static defense against Germany. So they built the giant wall and the Germans flew over it and went around it, you know. You don't want to refight the last war. You want to think forward. And I worry that as much as we needed a $100 million football complex, that was competing with Clemson 2015, and the war now is NIL. And what John Cohen was saying is, do you want to build $100 million buildings, as important as they can be, right? Is the Should the priority be building $100 million facilities or what could you do with that kind of donation money with NIL? Is that how you get the players? And we don't know. It's probably some combination. So what do you think about that? I think the important thing is this. We're talking about how we slice the pie. Yeah. There's not more pie. No. Nope. Okay? And that is what we're talking mm, about. Pie. The traditionally, you know, again, in the, in the original version of NIL, yeah. the players were doing advertising for people – or companies who were paying for advertising anyway. Bob's Car Wash oh, yeah. in Opelika was hiring some local celebrity to do ads for the car wash. Anyway, now they're paying an Auburn player to do that. Right. And so that's the that's the traditional NIL viewpoint. Correct. But what's really happening now is the guy who owns Bob's Car Wash is an Auburn season ticket holder. He's donating a whole bunch of extra money beyond his advertising budget to the NIL collective, which is then giving it to players. And some of that may be for car wash advertisements, but he's not getting the return on his investment that he would, you know, for the, what he was doing before. So it's a donation basically. And he's doing that, as you said, instead of donating to the facilities when they pass the hat around for that. Mm -hmm. And so it is a good conversation to have because there isn't more pie. There's only so much money Auburn fans can donate. And if we're donating it to the NIL side, so it goes more to the players, that's in all the sports, that's great. But there isn't more money for these other things. I, A cynical person might say, well, uh, we can take that fan money and put it towards NIL because the athletic department's getting ready to get a whole bunch of more money from ESPN – for the new football contract, they're getting an additional, what, I don't know, 25, 30, 40 million dollars a year, mm. and they'll be okay, and they could spend some of that on facilities if they want to. Well, the thing that comes to my mind is first, thank goodness we were wrapping up the football complex when this whole thing started. The schools that are just now thinking, now we need to build the new facility. They may have a harder time raising the money for it than we did. That's true. Because and 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 meanwhile, we're done with it and can go back to spending our money on the NIL thing. So it could be a lot worse. We're actually in a pretty good place with it. Now, what's suffering is Jordan Hare Stadium because we put a lot of money into everything else, right? We've built. I, you know, let's let's pick the year that we finished the general configuration of the stadium as it is now. I know that we've tweaked it a few times since then, but the stadium as it exists now mostly goes back to 1987. That was the year that they opened up the east deck to go along with the west deck. I know they've expanded the ends of the deck and they've added a little trailer double wide and everything and they've done they've done some things, but 
The stadium as it exists now, that configuration is 1987. And in 1987, it was a top four SEC stadium. It was a top ten in the country stadium. It was it was gorgeous. But here's the problem. That was 35 years ago. Okay. Ouch. And it hasn't really changed much except to get a big television set and a and a press box off to the side that everybody hates and, and a few other doodads here and there it hasn't really changed much in 35 years and i would argue and i don't mean to offend folks but i've been around the sec it's become the lower half of the conference now at least in terms of its quality it's it's a great facility but it's and there are parts of it that are beautiful but there are parts of it that look like they were built in the 60s because they were built in the 60s or before. The, well, the, and there's, the, there's parts of it that, you know, the, the end opposite the baseball stadium, right? The other end where the, where the visiting team's buses pull up and stuff. The that end, end looks terrible. The yeah, north the end. north end, yeah. It's exposed girders and... Yeah. And opened. It needs to be bricked in. Has oh, absolutely! Facade stuff on it. It absolutely. looks like it looks a high terrible. school stadium. It looks like Legion Field, nineteen seventy-five. Um, yes. You know the deal. The uh, it was a. We had a horseshoe for a while. We had a horseshoe, and the track. You know. I mean, let me. I don't. I don't go too far on this, but just a quick for folks because I think people enjoy this. The configuration of Jordan Hare Stadium. I wrote a mini book about it. A number of years ago, I've looked, I've looked at this in great detail. The original, con- the original, uh, the original way it was set up was a track around a field with stands on each side, and it was funny because when they put, that's why the stands are so far back from the sidelines compared to like Florida or something, right? Because it had a track, it had a full Olympic track around the football field, so the stands are back from that former track. Um, when they put the south stands in, which is like the end zone where the big TV is, right? When they put that in, that covered up the track on that end. And so you actually had track and field events where the runners would disappear under the stands when they would go through the south end zone part of the track. The runners would be out of sight to the crowd for a while as they, kind of like the, the, the Apollo rockets going to the dark side of the moon. <laughs> And, you know, you didn't know what shenanigans were going on under there. <laughs> Somebody's twin brother comes running out the other end and suddenly they're say, winning. They oh, yeah. Trip, you could, trip at each other back there. Yeah, like. oh, fist fights and pulling a knife and pulling a gun. It'd be great. But, um, yeah, so so then when that meant we had a horseshoe, right? Because the, the, the south end where the TV is, the big screen, that was – so we had a horseshoe. The north end was open. And, you know, the it, – it, it used to be the geology building. I forget what it's mm-hmm. called. Um, and I forget what it that, is. Some, down in the hole there, kind of. Yeah, that little building that's catty corner. Mm-hmm. It's catty corner to the street because if you look at it, it's perpendicular to the stadium. It's perfectly aligned with the football field and the stadium. That was the locker room. And so there was no stand there. So when they built the north stands, they closed in that big pit and turn that locker room into something else, right? Into a geology room, building, and whatever else it became later. And so um, they had to move the dressing rooms under the stadium then. But it's it's looked like it looks now since they did that, right? It's got the small scoreboard. It's just metal girders. And that's what uh, John 
Cohen said our next priority in the stadium needs to be. He said we could do something with the north end zone. We need to be able to do that. So I think, I suspect that Auburn is going to, its next project, that's, and this is where it gets tough because I bet he's gone around and talked to donors. And I bet he said, we want to raise money to do something in the north end zone. And I bet a number of them probably replied, John, I, I just gave a million dollars to NIL. Where do you want the money to go, right? And he's like, uh-oh. You know, now I'm going to have a hard time getting anything done to this stadium because all the money's going to NIL. But he wants to get it done. And I'm very excited because that's long. The, the north end zone and the west side, that's the side that faces out on the big parking lots, you know. Those are the two parts that need help. But what the big thing, other thing is, what does he want to do? And what he wants to do is more premium seating. I'm imagining something like Florida did, like about 1990, where they didn't just redo the seats in one end zone. They built a building in that end zone with seats on the side of it facing into the stadium, but also a bunch of other stuff inside that building. I mean, luxury suites, I'm sure. Yeah, and that and, could and be that, that facade that we're talking about for the North End. Yeah. It could be a building on that end mm-hmm. with, with you know, visitor locker rooms and some offices and stuff. And yeah. then on the top could be the scoreboard. And then under that, luxury seats. seats look yeah. at, you know, and, and shaded areas. and Because, uh, I mean, he also built the, uh, the end zone kind of uh, luxury area at Mississippi State where they have basically have like a – tables and uh you know places you could stand up right behind the end zone basically at mississippi state watch the game so um yeah what i'm learning out of all this is that you got to have more money than i do to go to to really have a good time at a football game unless you just enjoying the you know being squeezed into the the peon section which is fine that's where i've always sat but um but yeah i would really like to see them do something along the way of what florida did and, and it makes sense, too. When they did that at Florida, I was kind of like, why would you build a building there? Just make the stadium. But no, you've got to have the excuse of more revenue, right? More luxury accommodations and everything else. And the seats are just kind of like one component of that. But you're going to have to replace them. I mean, the one thing I'd be worried about is if we replace a whole section in the north end zone of seats with something more upscale, does the seating at Jordan Hare number go down? Yeah, maybe. But I'm going to be honest. There's no stadiums that are adding a bunch more. No. I mean, there's never going to be another 100,000 foot stadium built. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So it's just not that world anymore. I think it's not that world anymore. And I think the stadiums are going to get smaller and more cozy and more luxury boxes. I think that's the direction we're going. You know who figured this out 20, 30 years ago is MLS. Mm-hmm. They used to play soccer in this country in football stadiums, and they're like, "Why can't we fill it up?" And then MLS came along in like the '90s and said, "You're not going to fill it up. Make a small stadium to 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 accommodate the crowd you get, and it'll look. You'd rather have a smaller stadium that's full with demand. See our basketball program, than a big facility that's half empty all the time. See Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's fine. I guess so. Yeah, I guess the combination of it's just so much more expensive to go to games now. You can see them so well at home now like you used to couldn't, you know. That's and, right. And um, 
And then it really is becoming a thing where if you're going to go to a game, it's not just to sit on an aluminum bleacher for three and a half hours. It, it, you want to have an adventure. You want to have a, you know what I mean? You want to have a package yes. thing. You want to have a, I'll, I mean, I tell you right now, I told you this before. I don't know if I've told you on the air or not, but I've told you before, John, when we went to the Texas A&M football game, that was great. But when we went to the basketball game, that was awesome. Getting to go in there and, and eat and sit down, have tables, have food. I mean, you know, if I lived in Auburn, I'd find a way to be able to do that if I, you know, if it was available. I would that would be what I would do 100%. So, yeah, it's it's not it's not like it was in 1975 anymore where you go, you pack up the car, you eat some Kentucky fried chicken, you pay, you know, $7 a ticket, you sit on an aluminum bleacher for three and a half hours and cheer and you go home. It's it. That's just not the world we live in anymore. No, it's just not. Yeah. All right. So we'll see what happens. But I am always interested in facilities, and it is interesting to think about how NIL now actually competes with that and may actually be causing it to slow down. And again, that's not just for us. I mean, that's important to note. Is it's not just for us. No, that's an everybody discussion. Right. That's right. All right. Let me thank our patrons really quickly because my goodness, we wouldn't be here without them. Um, we have. Uh, Lots and lots of great patrons, and if you join up, you can do things like uh, do the, I'm sure, the March Madness basketball tournament. We'll be, we'll be doing that really soon. It's always fun. We have the fantasy. Hopefully, we have the fantasy Formula One League coming. Anyway, we just went and checked on their website, and it's got a holding page up. So presumably, they're going to have it up and running soon. I hope so. And uh, all the other various things that we do throughout the year. Uh, go to www. or just help us keep the show going, pay the bills. www.auwishbone.com. www.auwishbone.com. Or just go to patreon.com, look for AU Wishbone. So here are the fine folks who have gone to www.auwishbone.com and clicked on the big orange button to become a patron. They include, as always, Samuel Salvatore, Boris the Tiger's Burner Account, Carl Von Drunker, Chris and Clinton Stewart, Ann Kangian, Bradley Blackman, Daniel Odom, Gary Grant, a.k.a. AU Fan at KSC, <laughs> Logan Chilton. Hey, there goes Tank Man. Matthew Flowers, Michael Kirshner, Phil Amthor, who is the master sommelier-level sponsor and paying for Adam Hill's ground crew-level sponsor. We appreciate that. Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden. Um, oh, <laughs> this is the one that has the great combination of... And I always mess this up. Um, yeah, here it goes. This is a great combination. Tonight's forecast, a freeze is coming. So, so appropriate. So appropriate. Basketball season. I'm going to keep playing. Basketball season plus the basketball book of winning combinations since 2022. I think so, too. Ben Bloodworth. Bleeds Orange and Blue. Chris Hilton. Chris Thrash. Clay Henson. Dan Thompson. Earl Ricks. Eric Morgan. Bobby. Freeze has more O-line commits in four weeks than Harson had in two years. Oh, I didn't say the word. Potatoes. Whoops. Um, oh. Mark says, insert. which one do we want to do this time? Oh, this is always a favorite. And that's nothing but pure and simple old-fashioned communism. He's so, thank he's so thoughtful to let me just pick a random clip. Jacob and Robin Fleming. Je uh, Joseph Stilwell Kane, Mardi Gras revivalist on February 19, 2023. That was yesterday. We will raise Kane. Hey, I just had raising Kane's myself just now. KD confirms that... Th <laughs> KD confirms that Joe's barbecue and foot massage 
has the biggest hairballs. 76 Tiger Esquire Sleazy Shyster. Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Lane Middleton, Logan, Mickey B. No one fights like Gaston, Algo Rhythm and Blues, Paul Miles, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Rusty Owens, Sarah Brown, Steve Harlan, Theodore Geary, War Eagle Always, Warhammer 6, WDE Richie, it's Hugh Freeze time, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Win Carroll, Winston Body, Returning to Everything School, Auburn Blue, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, the real Boris the Tiger, Brandon Smith, Carter Glouse, Colby Butler, Corey Smyer, David Simpson, Di Bama, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal. Just wait till next year. Kevin Mahan, Luther and, Luther and Kelly Ottaway, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, and our one-time anonymous donors, <laughs> Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, softball coach Mickey Dean is now only the second worst thing that ever happened to Auburn. Okay. Stephen Houston. The, uh, the the guy out back of Joe's Barbecue Foot Massage that smoke weed every day after eating leftover potatoes in a tonight's forecast a freeze is coming man that's uh, we're gonna have a cap <laughs> you can only request two or three not four in one name is too much it's a, it's a little much it's impressive but it's a little much I like it Tim Pittman, Timothy, Tony Perry, Wiggle87, at the Mad Reaper Pepper Company on Instagram. I ordered my bottle. I got to order your bottle. I, I'm going to get to it. Um, if mine comes before I order yours and I taste it and it's terrifying, I'll let you know and we'll call the whole thing off. But I'm... Man, I'm in. All right. Okay. I'm going to send it. I, I <laughs> forecast this pain. Are you going you gonna to give it to Alexandra or Ethan or, or Gabby if it... If it's if you can't take yeah, it, Alexander can eat it. If Gabriel can eat it, I suspected that she probably could. I know she's tough. Alex Wynn, Ben Amos, Ben Regis, Brian Albanese, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Chris Braun, Colonel Dead, aka Ari Benzane. I'm missing my category, Mister Construction Tiger, Daniel Barnett, Daniel Witten, Darren Pyle, and finally Elizabeth Donald, escort Hugh Freeze elsewhere. We uh, we gotta get better at celebrating. This one of the last Gus ones I have on here now. Uh, I am Tiger, exclusive hairball supplier of... Joe's Barbecue Foot Massage. They're up to like four or five ones now. It's crazy. I'll buy this for a dollar. James Taylor, Jason Louise Glaubrick, Jeremiah Schumann, Jim McCrory, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, JT Jaria, Justin Bean, Kenneth Britt Rains, the barbecue... You have failed me for the last time. A.K.A. Auburn Dad for Life. That's, yeah, we'll... New listeners don't know what he means by the barbecue has failed him for the last time. There's a whole story there you'll find out in uh, July or August, folks, if you don't know already. Mark Squire, MVP, captivating Kathy Bright. You don't have any friends. Yeah, you do. Paul Bankson, Royce Alvarez, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Spanky. I am at the bottom of this list because... Scott Wilson! You can, the monkey boy. Sports Illustrated's Auburn Elvis, Stephen Thompson, Slinko Family, Tim Sauls, Trevor Johnson. When is John Cohen coming on since I've seen him on many other outlets? That's a fair question. We need to get John Cohen on here. We can ask him about the North End Zone ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and then, why are you booing Johnny's right? Brant Rumble plus our one-time and anonymous donors. Ah! All right. Thank you. Go to www.auwishbone.com. John, um, are we ready for Guess the Game? Bring it on. Let's do it. 
Van John, the rest of the AU Wishbone family. This is Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist here with Guess the Game number 80. Before we get into that, let's listen to this. All right, John, Van, if you guys figured out that this is Auburn playing Georgia in 2005, then you are correct. I want to thank Ash R for sending that in. Okay, I feel much better. All right, for Guess the Game number 80, Trey Jackson sent in a play, so let's give a listen to what Trey sent in. First and 10. Auburn. Now one set back. It's a toss. Here's the reverse. They toss it back. Okay, He's got all by himself. Now the chase is on. And here goes touchdown Auburn. 67 yards on the Dipsy Doodle. All right, guys. I will see you in the hint file. All right, first, I got to say. I told I, I knew Jared would respond to what happened last week, and if you weren't here, what happened last week was that the, the answer file was back to the very beginning, and he said, oh, he said what happened was all three of them were together in the answer file. So if I had just kept playing it, <laughs> we would have eventually We've gotten, gotten the answer. Yeah, but uh, it happened. So, all right, now, what are your thoughts about that one? All right, the announcer was? Was that Vern? I think so. Sound like Vern Lundquist. Uh, which means CBS game. Afternoon game. Referred yeah. to the as the Dipsy Doodle. Um, <laughs> I thought that was uh, a dog. So it was a reverse, mm-hmm. basically pass. I think that to went an open sixty something sixty seven yards, yards yeah. for a touchdown. I guess. Um, yeah. Are there plays like that in your memory that were big CBS game moments? Mm. I mean, when I hear Vern and us doing something big, I think about like. 2010 with Cam. Yes. Immediately I went to thinking about 2010. But I don't remember a reverse. I mm-hmm. I don't remember. I mean, if it was a reverse, it almost certainly would have been Terrell Zachary. Well, or the or, or Grant, the running back Grant, number 20. Throwing it or catching it? Catching it. Was I, it a was it a, just a reverse or was there a pass in there? I think it was a reverse and then a pass, I thought. Okay. Wow, then I have that one does that does not ring a bell at all. The only time I even remember us running reverses was against Florida back in the nineties, and that wasn't Vern, I don't think. You know, against Spurrier's team, that then like the ninety three, ninety four team. Did, okay, did we Frank do Sanders. anything like this in twenty seventeen oh. Georgia game? Oh, oh that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I don't remember the specific plays in that game. I haven't mm-hmm. watched that in a long time. Like, I watched the 2010 season games over and over and over and over and over for a couple of years there. But I don't, I didn't really watch the 2017 games after the season was over. So, all right, let's go to the hint file. Yeah, I think we're going to have to. I, it's just not ringing a bell for me. And could you tell if it was a home game? Could not. I mean, the crowd was going crazy, but they would either way. Yeah. It doesn't, just, even if it was, it doesn't tell me anything. All right, here we go. We are now in the hint file. Let's get rid of the bleeps, take a listen. First and 10, Auburn. Now one set back, it's a toss. Here's the reverse, they toss it back. He's got a run with do all by himself. Now the chase is on. And here goes Devin, a run touchdown, Auburn. 67 yards on the Dipsy Doodle. Yes, indeed, I'll see you in the answer file. Maybe the correct file this time, who knows? <laughs> All right, so well, we know what years two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah, well, two, it could be two thousand two. He played in 02 even. 
two, three, yeah. four, and five. Oh, uh, I was going to say Obamanu had a no. That was a, that was a tunnel screen though. It wasn't a reverse against Alabama or Ole Miss. I know Alabama. Oh man, I that just does not ring a bell for me. It's it's going to end up being something like. Could it be the 2005 Alabama game? All we think about is the defense in that game, Sack and Brody. But Could I don't. Be. I don't remember how we scored. I don't, Honestly, I don't. Re, I don't remember how we scored against Georgia that year either. Other than the the Aroma Shodu catch that that Courtney Taylor fell on. It's so, five. Yeah, but I mean the O2 team had some big moments too. But yeah, but Aroma Shodu was a freshman then. Yeah, he didn't. I, I I don't think it was one of his freshman games. I. I want to say it's 04, 05. Um, yeah. Watch it be like Arkansas or Ole Miss or something from one of those years. And I just, you know, because I honestly didn't pay as much attention to the early part of the 04 season. I was in 04, I was still pissed about 03. When I remember, I was wearing black <laughs> to the games in 03. Yeah, yes. And, um, and uh, it t- they had to win the over. finger was a dark time, man. Oh, it was a dark time. And um, I've always said I have two kinds of clothes, orange and blue for when Auburn's winning and black for when Auburn's <laughs> losing. And, um, yeah, I was and, – and it took them a while. Plus, I was I was dating somebody new that year, and I wasn't paying much attention. And it kind of – partway into the season, I'm like, oh, we're doing really good. I need to start paying more attention. So, yeah, so that season doesn't stand out for me until later on. So you want to pick one? What do you think? 04, 05? Like 05 Georgia? That was the yeah. Cox to Roma should do pass game. And and the other one you said was like Maybe the 05 o- Alabama game. Or the O but that's no. that's not the what year was the we ran out of running backs game against Alabama? Oh two. So yeah, oh let's go O five Alabama. I the thing is we gotta think about Vern. We gotta think about CBS. Yeah, it's gotta be a game that CBS would have had on at two thirty. I, I just I don't have any ideas. I, there's 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 thirty games it could be honestly, and I don't know. Yeah. All right, Let's well go here we go. Alabama. Good, this is a good. All one. right, Van John, this is indeed the answer file. And if you figured out that we were playing <laughs> Arkansas in two thousand and four, mm. then you are the big winners. I want to thank deal. Trey Jackson once again for sending that in. If you have a guess the game suggestion you'd like to send to me, I am at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. Or if you're a little old school and you want to send me an email, it's Jared, J-A-R-R-O-D, at theyardsaleartist.com. Until next time, Van, John, Wolverine. All right. The play that stands out in my memory from the 04 Arkansas game was that we opened it up with a Jason Campbell flea flicker. Long pass for a touchdown. I wonder if that's what that was, and it just he described it differently than I remember it. You know what I mean? Either that, or we had two long touchdowns in that game, which is possible. But so. it's also possible that was that he flipped it to Jason, back to Jason Campbell, and Jason Campbell threw it, and that, yeah. so that may have been the play to remember. That, but man. it's also just like you know, I'm sure there are listeners who got that one, and when we did not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you were right that it was oh oh four oh five though. That was a good call. I was that was because they were playing. They were those receivers played all four years. So I really wasn't sure. But all right. Uh, let's see. I guess we just go ahead and get on into. Thank you. Order questions to the prime minister. It's time for listener questions. Dun 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 on the AU Wishbone podcast. So what's in the mailbag this week? All right, first email is from Brett Wiggins, who says, you're going to love this. He says, attached is a spreadsheet I came up with 
for what I think would be a good way to assign each of these soon-to-be 16 SEC teams with their three permanent conference opponents. I tried to stick with traditional, historical, or geographical opponents while keeping parity. Let me know what you think. <clears throat> and he says, I'd also like your thoughts on which third opponent Auburn should get in addition to Alabama and uh, Georgia, as I've seen LSU and Florida mentioned in different places. He says, I think it should be Mississippi State since we have more history with them and we're both land-grant universities. Thanks, Brett Wigaber Wigan. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I've seen a lot of talk about this. Did you see Kevin Skarbinski's column about this the other day? No. Skarbinski basically said Auburn and Alabama need to suck it up and take the big rivals as their three and you know don't look for some weaseling around way to make it Vanderbilt or Mississippi State or something. So Scar- <clears throat> Skarbinski said Auburn needs to take Alabama, Georgia, Florida and Alabama needs to take Auburn, Tennessee, LSU. And he laid out like the numbers, and we have played Mississippi State more than anybody except Georgia. In fact, I think we probably would have played we probably would have played Florida more than anybody else except Georgia, except that we quit playing them, you know, a number of years ago mm-hmm. yes. for the most part. And now Mississippi State has passed them. So Brett does have us play Mississippi State. He has Alabama with Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. One of the things that happens in this in the scenario, and I was looking at it on, on Brett's spreadsheet, and you, you hear other people talk about this, is for the non for the weaker teams in the SEC, are they going to you know if only the good teams play each other, then you end up with only the bad teams playing each other. And so, for example, on Brett's schedule, Missouri has Kentucky, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Oh, come on, that ain't fair. And, uh, 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 you know what I'm saying? And so then you're like, well, and Ole Miss has Mississippi State, Vandy, and LSU. Yeah. So you you end up with one, one year, everything's going to go right for Missouri with that schedule, and they're gonna, the rotating opponents aren't going to be so bad, and they're going to win the freaking conference. Yeah, we just have to keep bearing in mind that there's six other teams that you're going to be playing every year, and if they're even if they're not the same, some years they're going to be Alabama and Georgia, some years they're going to be LSU and Florida, so or whoever else, you know, Tennessee, whatever. And so, even if your permanent opponents are not super strong, you're still going to have six more that are going to one year or the other are going to be. Yes. Titans. It's just, you know, and then, yeah, and then right. Texas and Oklahoma. But, but yeah, it, there's still just, it just, it gives you that sense of, ah, it doesn't seem, you know, doesn't, doesn't seem, seem doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. But I, that's what it, we've always done. That's right. So here's the last part of Brett's email. He says, P.S., if you ever want to have some kind of ask the referee segment, I'd be glad to help. Oh. I've been officiating high school football for a few years and don't mind diving into the college rule book or giving insight into the mechanics that of how referees are trained. Yeah, that's a neat idea. So. Okay. Do you remember the old um, "You make the call"? Mm-hmm. That was so much fun. I wish they did that again. That was a great thing. There was like a segment. Was it like at halftime of Monday Night Football or something where they'd be like, you know, they'd show a controversial play from earlier in the season. They go, "You make the call," and then you had to kind of figure out what the call would actually be, and then they'd come back after the commercial and explain it. And that was always really good. I like that. That was right up there with the Fireman's Fun flashback. 
Uh, no, I like that, and I think we're going to take you up on that. If you have suggestions or questions that we should have in a, in a referee discussion, let us know. We can send this to Brad. Good deal. All right. Next question is from uh, Bradley Blackman, who's, uh, Coach Blackman, who says, were you all aware that Auburn had a very successful wrestling program <laughs> in the 1970s? He said, I had no idea, but I met an old wrestling coach from Prattville, and he told me all about it. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I had no idea, and um, and, and and I, you know, in today's world, if we had a wrestling program, they'd be teaching you how to do all like the WWE type stuff too. If you wanted to make a living off of it, you know. Well, but there is there is Olympic wrestling in some schools. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. some of the Big Ten and Big Twelve schools are really into it. Um, that's true. All right. Our next uh, list of emails from Doc Crackham, who says, Crackham. "Sorry for the delay in questions, but on to the next position group." Let's hear a Marvel superhero comparison oh. for all the running backs on the roster this week. Thanks for always a War Eagle. Um, oh, man, we need Jared for this. Let me put out a special call if Jared's listening to look at our right. running back roster because I want to know how he uh, how he stacks them up. He's very good at all this right, kind we'll, of thing. We'll just do Jarquez, and then we'll think about some of the others. Okay. But I like Jarquez. As, is there a, a Marvel superhero who – Developed mm. over time and got stronger as things went on. And he's kind of never started out so some flashes, but then he, yeah, he's 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 gonna never be at like the Hulk or Thor or the Thing level. But he's but he's not you know Daredevil or the Punisher either. He's he's um, you know what maybe he's Colossus from the X Men. Okay, I like it. You know, a little more agile, not quite a super super Hulk level power but young up and coming you know still pretty tough pretty stout i'm gonna go with colossus i want to know what jared thinks i like it and then uh, he follows up and says p.s by the time jarquest hunter graduates do you think he will be better or more effective than tank if so aside from a coaching staff change why has jarquest been more efficient so far well what impressed me about him this past season <clears throat> was um, that he seemed to bring more power in some ways than Tank. Tank, Tank seemed about to be about the same back he was as a freshman. I never, not that he didn't develop or whatever, but he seemed about the same size and strength level as he always had. And he's, you know, he's always been more of a shifty back than you think he is. Especially with the name Tank, you expect him to be, you know, um, Rudy Johnson or something, and that's not who he was. But. Um, but Jarquez kind of started turning into more of a Trey Mason type. It seemed like to me. Am I am I crazy there? I started to see him yeah, turning this no, past season. Yeah, he he started going from like a slightly lesser tank to more of a, which is what Trey Mason did, right? If you think about Trey Mason in his career uh, development, yes. Yeah, if you think of Trey Mason in 2011, he was thinner, not as he was powerful, a kick, kicker turner, and shifty, more like tank. And over his next couple of years, he got more and more of like a power back, which I never expected out of him. But he did. Mm-hmm. All right. And our last listener email is from Bill Miner, who's – this is a good one. The subject line of his email is SEC from scratch. He says, as much as I wish we still had the 10-team SEC to truly have a communal conference that predated much of my life, here's a fun what if for you. If you were made SEC commissioner in 1933 when the league was founded and knowing everything since then, who would be in the SEC 
and what size would it be now? So we're, we're going back to the beginning, and we're taking in as many teams as we think is appropriate, and, and how would and it be what si- But also, like, what size do you want? It could be whatever size you want, but who's in and who's out? I thought it was fine at 10 myself, but, you know, six kind of... Well, I'm going to be clear. Like, going back to the time he's talking about, Tulane was a member. Yeah, no. And Georgia either. Tech was a member. Yeah, Suwanee was a member. I don't need all that. Mm-hmm. Would but, you keep any of them? No. I Georgia Tech, yeah, I I would look with some kind of favor on Georgia Tech, but not necessarily on uh, the I, other two. Here's here's my Here's my other thought there. Imagine... If Georgia Tech had stayed in the SEC and the state of Georgia had two fully developed SEC programs, not Georgia Tech as it is now, right. but Georgia Tech that had been in the SEC getting SEC money mm-hmm. for you know a hundred years, and it's much more like an Auburn Alabama situation where you have two kind of co-equal teams. That's Georgia right. would not be nearly as strong because they wouldn't be able to dominate that state. I just just throwing yeah. that out there. Is that my yeah. life? Yeah, no kidding. You know, I no, I the, the the teams that I would want in the SEC, uh, I would want Southern Mississippi. I always liked Mississippi diluting itself down to three teams so that none of the three was any good. I like having I liked having Southern Miss. They always seem like an SEC team to me. I don't mind Georgia Tech. Um, I would take Clemson over South Carolina. I know the idea of having some white meat. Vanderbilt the same way, but um, if I'm going to – and Florida would, State – Would you take Arkansas or Missouri or no, A&M? No. no. Well, A&M, you know, honestly, A&M is, the, I think, the closest fit. I never particularly liked Arkansas. Missouri I only want in for my own selfish reason because it's two hours away. Uh, but in a, in a neutral world, no – um, I would like I said I would add I would add Florida State, Clemson, Southern Miss, and uh, Texas A and M, and I would get rid of South Carolina, Arkansas, um, Missouri, Missouri, maybe Vandy or Kentucky. I don't really love them. And then I wish I could get rid of two more, take it down to ten, but I could live with twelve at that level. I don't want any more than twelve though. Twelve is plenty good. And I don't want divisions. I'd want to, um, let's see, with, with 12 teams, you could do, uh, you know the math. <laughs> you could do a couple permanent and yeah. rotate you could do, you four, could five, do. six, whatever. You that's could how I would do it. Yeah, that's what I would All want. All right, I like it. That was a good question from Bill, and, and we actually we took some time and came up with a creative answer there. So. There we go. All right, we might have a little bit on the road, so let's go ahead and fire up the Mobile. Trip around the SEC. All right, so we have a weird thing going on at Georgia. I know that. I mean, no, Georgia's offensive coordinator left, went to back to the NFL, Todd Munkin. And I remember a couple weeks ago during playoffs, I talked about I think he's probably the best single coordinator in the SEC on either side of the ball. Yeah, wow. And he's gone. So I think it's. A loss. They immediately hired Mike Bobo as the OC. <laughs> Excuse me, I don't mean to. <laughs> Not for why you can, the monkey boy. <laughs> I think Mike Mike Bobo is going to look pretty smart moving the pieces on that Georgia has on the chessboard. So. Yeah, you give you give him the keys to that. Yeah, I know. Suddenly he's going to be a genius, and people are going to be like, "Why didn't Auburn keep him? He was so great." Well, because he didn't have because he had five star well, players. He, and because he didn't get along with the head coach at the time. Yeah, well, who um, 
but also, I, again, I think Bobo will be fine, but Monkin was really good. Yeah. And I think there aren't many times when Georgia plays a team with like close to equal talent. But as, for example, at Ohio State game, I think Monkin was a difference maker in that game. And if they play that kind of game without him, that's one. That's the kind of game Georgia might lose. You know what uh, Mike Bobo said when he was first asked to come and be the offensive coordinator at Auburn? What's Dalton's process? The other news is that A&M went out and tried twice to hire the wide receiver coach away from Louisville and failed. Wow. Uh, Garrick McGee is going to stay at Louisville. (laughs) And so he's staying with Jeff Brom instead of going to be with Jimbo and Mike Petrino. I'm not sure why he would choose that. So he's sitting on like a fishing boat, but it's a very, it's an intact one. It's floating. He's got a cooler full of beers, you know, and he's got his little rod and reel. And this yacht pulls up next to the, uh, this yacht pulls up next to the fishing boat, but it's on fire. There's a ticking time bomb sitting on the deck with the numbers clearly visible counting down. And there's a broken mirror and there's a and there's a you have to walk under a ladder to get on the boat where a black cat crosses back and forth. And he's like, you know, I think I'm gonna stay on the fishing boat. I'm I'm good, y'all. Carry on. I'm trying to paint you a picture here. But it's a really big yacht. <laughs> it's, it's like a lot of money went into that yacht too, yeah. But it's gonna burst into flames at any moment. That thing's gonna go down like the like the Soryu at Midway, man. It's gonna be blown to bits. So yeah, I don't blame him. I, I wonder why too. Um, All right, two two things we could talk about in the future. One is there was a discussion, a lot of discussion online today about there are proposed rule changes to make games, college football games, shorter. Like, not as long in time. Do you care if they are shorter? I would put it this way. There's two reasons. Well, you could make the game shorter without making the actual game shorter. It's called have uh, fewer commercials. Non-televised games were like three minutes shorter oh, yeah. than televised games in this of current course. year. So you're At saving least. three minutes. That's it. Well, a college football game is an, like an hour longer than an NFL game right now. That's crazy. What is it? it is the stuff they do with the way clock? longer. Yes, I mean uh, a lot of it has to do with in college football the play stops with an incomplete pass. Yeah. Uh, and and the and so when you're trying to come back, that makes a huge difference. In the NFL, it doesn't stop. I didn't and it, it doesn't even stop when you go out of bounds in the NFL well, until the last two minutes. See, this is what happens when I don't watch the NFL anymore. Yeah, um, I didn't know that. Well, that's that's fine. I mean, I'll put it to you this way, though. The, there was a time in our lifetimes that they didn't think players should play more than 10 football games in a season. It was 11 when we were kids. And then they snuck it up to 12. But ju- oh, but just in years with an extra weekend in September, right? Mm-hmm. And then they said, you know, let's just keep doing it. It's fine. And then they're gonna oh, we're gonna add more playoff rounds. It's like it used to be you can't play more than ten games. Now you're doing good to not play twenty. The, the it's it didn't get any healthier, really. Not really. Yeah. It, so they need re- if they're you're 100 percent right. It's about the snap counts for the players. Yeah. And they're playing too many games. It, and too many. Yes. If 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 you're going to add more games, you need to make the games that are played shorter. Yes, I 100 percent agree. That's Absolutely. Fair. Yeah. All right. 
I like it. And then the last thing is a topic that came out this week that we're going to table and come back to in the offseason after the dust settles on basketball, whenever that is. And that is that uh, Bill Connolly came out with his returning production rankings for all of college football and his projected power rankings for the upcoming season. So he has projected how much returning production every single SEC team has by position and stuff. And so we're going to talk about that. I've got all that data and we're going to have a deep, I'll share it with Vane before that specific episode. We'll have a deep discussion about that at a future podcast. All right. Sounds good to me. I mean, uh, let's do it. We'll we'll dig into those numbers and we'll figure something out. Sounds good. So um, I reckon that's it. We've uh, it's it's we're in kind of the dead period right now. Not a lot going on, but we found some interesting stuff to talk about. And uh, we've got uh, two more basketball games coming up this week. And there's always another story being manufactured <laughs> for the football reading audience. So we'll see what they come up with. But uh, what are your final thoughts for this week? Let's go win a basketball game. Let's do it. It's a it's a good time. It's a to quote Billy Billy not Billy Joel Billy Idol. They're kind of similar. Uh, it's a nice day for a, to to win a basketball game. All right, our time is up. We thank you for yours, Wiggle John. Wiggle man. Thanks for listening to the AU Wishbone. Find links to everything we do at www.auwishbone.com. For more Auburn fun, join us on Twitter at auwishbone and at facebook.com slash auwishbone. War Eagle. The AU Wishbone is produced by Van Allen Plexico and John Ringer. Copyright 2020. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production. Thank you for listening to the AU Wishbone Podcast.